0: Amen. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 1. For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them at Laodicea, and for as many as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love, and unto all riches of the full assurance of understanding, to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God, and of the Father, and of Christ, in whom are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. For though I be absent in the flesh, yet am I with you in the Spirit, joying and beholding your order, and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted, and built up in him, established in the faith, as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. Beware lest any man spoil you through what? Philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. Recently, my wife and I were uh, someplace and and someone started talking about the author c. s. Lewis and saying what a blessing his writings had been to him and and then asked me the question, you know do you read c s Lewis and I said, "No, I don't It has been years and years uh, since I've looked at his life but the reason I did not read his writings is because I'd been warned not too many years ago. But I would like to tonight just look a little bit at C.S. Lewis and his life. Um, so let's let's begin here. Uh, C.S. Lewis, the C and the S stand for Clive Staples. So Clive C C Live C L I V E Clive Staples, just like the stapler, Clive Staples Lewis. He was born November 29, 1898, in Belfast, Ireland. He died November twenty second, 1963, in Oxford, England. Uh, Britannica.com gives a little bit of his background. It says he was an Irish-born scholar, novelist, and author of about 40 books, many of them on Christian apologetics including, and this is the name of a, of a work, The Screwtape Letters, and another, the name of another work was Mere Christianity. His works of greatest lasting fame may be the Chronicles of Narnia, a series of seven children's books that have become classics of fantasy literature. Uh, Britannica goes on and says, Lewis, had rejected Christianity in his early teens and lives lived as an atheist through his 20s. Lewis turned to theism in 1930 and to Christianity and I'm just quoting from them we'll look at that in a moment but and to Christianity in 1931 partly with the help of his close friend and devout Roman Catholic, J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, here's where we need to read carefully and prayerfully. It's said that Lewis turned to Christianity with the help of his close friend and devout Roman Catholic, J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, the question is this. Would a devout Roman Catholic actually lead you to Christ? That is the question of the hour. And I emphasize, it said he was a devout Roman Catholic. Would a devout Roman Catholic lead you to Christ? Or would a devout Roman Catholic lead you into error? Um, A devout Roman Catholic is going to lead you to baptismal regeneration, which is a false doctrine. Baptismal regeneration means they believe that The waters of baptism washes away their sin. Is that what washed away your sin? No, not baptismal waters. Notice something in Colossians chapter one and verse thirteen. Colossians one thirteen. The Bible says who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom we have redemption through what? His blood. Even the what? Forgiveness of sin. So our forgiveness, our salvation comes through Jesus' blood, not through the waters of baptism. Notice with me in Revelation chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1 and verse 5. Revelation 1, 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from what? Our sins in what? His own blood. We weren't, our sins weren't washed away by the waters of baptism. Our sins were washed away by his own blood, the blood of Christ Notice in Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1, and verse 7, Ephesians 1, 7. This is a problem, and I've mentioned it many times, but Billy Graham preached plain, simple gospel messages, but if you were there at one of his crusades, you would be asked the question, what's your denominational affiliation? And if you said Catholic, you would be placed with a Catholic worker. And so the Catholic worker would tell you, yes, Billy Graham preached about being born again. You need to be born again. And that's what happens when you get baptized, when the priest sprinkles you. Uh, no. Ephesians 1, seven, In whom we have what? Redemption through what? His blood. The what? Forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So the Bible is very clear. Our forgiveness of sins comes through Jesus' shed blood on the cross for us. And so Christianity Today, that's a, a like a, I use the word loosely again, but a Christian magazine. Um, and in the year 2005, December 2005 of Christianity Today, they had an article called C.S. Lewis, Superstar. And then it goes on in the article and says this, Clive Staples Lewis was anything but a classic evangelical, socially or theologically. So Christianity, Christianity Today is not a conservative publication. okay? So, and this is what they are saying about C.S. Lewis. They said he is not... He is not a classic evangelical, socially or theologically. It says, he smoked cigarettes and a pipe, and he regularly visited pubs to drink beer with his friends. So this is not a conservative publication, and it's saying this man was, was not a classic evangelical. He smoked, he drank, he went to bars, and then it goes on... And I'm still quoting from Christianity Today. It said, He didn't subscribe to biblical inerrancy or penal substitution. He believed in purgatory. And here it comes, baptismal regeneration. What did I tell you? That's what he believed. When you you make a decision... Of, of salvation through a devout Roman Catholic, that is the decision you're making. It's a false salvation, but the decision you're making is getting your sins washed away by baptism. Well, let's look at these four areas biblical inerrancy, penal substitution, purgatory, and baptismal regeneration. What about biblical inerrancy? What does it mean? It means that we believe that there are no errors in the Bible. And, you know, Christianity today, if they were writing an article like this today, they they probably wouldn't say C.S. Lewis is so far off from evangelical Christianity today because there are many, many, many that consider themselves evangelicals that do not believe we have an inerrant Bible. In other words, they think we have errors in our Bible. That's what they think. But what does the Bible say well Let's look at Psalm 190 or excuse me, 119. I'm sorry. I do want to add uh, to the Bible there. We're not looking at Psalm 190. OK. <laughs> All right. Psalm 119 and verse 160. Psalm 119: 160. "Thy word is what? True. From what? The beginning. And what? Every one of thy righteous judgments endureth how long? Forever. So thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. God promises to keep his word pure. Look with me, please, at Psalm 19. Psalm 19. C.S. Lewis did not believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. In other words, He was of the persuasion that there were errors in Scripture. Psalm 19 and verse 7. Psalm 19, 7. The law of the Lord is what? Perfect. Converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is what? Sure. Making wise the simple. There's no errors in the Bible. Look in Isaiah 40. Isaiah 40 and verse 8. C.S. Lewis did not accept these verses of Scripture. Isaiah 40, verse 8, The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall what? Stand forever. It'll stand forever. He did not believe those verses. He did, did not subscribe. He did not believe in biblical inerrancy. Then penal substitution. What does that mean? Christianity today said that he did not believe in penal substitution. This means that Jesus Christ paid the penalty. He was our substitute. He bore our sins in his own body on the tree. That's what penal substitution means. C.S. Lewis did not believe that. Look at 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24. 1 Peter 2.24, speaking of Jesus, it says, Who his own self bear what? Our sins. In what? In his own body on the tree that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. So he is our substitute. He paid our sin price. Um, notice with me in Romans 5, Romans chapter 5. C.S. Lewis did not accept that Christ was our substitution on the cross for our sins. Romans 5.8 But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while who? we were yet sinners, what Christ died for who? For us. So he was our substitute, much more than being now justified by what? His blood we shall be saved from wrath through him. C.S. Lewis did not believe in penal substitution. C.S. Lewis believed in purgatory. Uh, MerriamWebsters.com defines purgatory as a place or state of punishment, wherein according to, here we go, Roman Catholic doctrine, the souls of those who die in God's grace may make satisfaction for past sins, and so become fit for heaven. So what we have, a purgatory then, is a place where the Catholic Church teaches that people suffer until their sins are paid for. Well, is it our suffering that pays for sins? What did we just see? It wasn't the water of baptism, what was it? The blood of Jesus Christ. So people once they die, can't suffer to pay for their sins. There's only one thing that will pay for sin, and that's the blood of Christ. But let's look at Luke 16. There, there is no intermediate place of suffering. That's what purgatory is considered by the Catholic Church. It's, a, it's an intermediate place. It's after death, but they go there to suffer for their sins before going on to heaven to pay for their sins. Um, Luke 16 and verse 19. There was a certain rich man which was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores. And desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover the dogs came and licked his sores. It came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and where? In hell. He lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off, and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus, that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in water. This flame, so this rich man, Okay, he died, he's in hell. Is this a temporary place for him? Will he go to heaven? Well, let's read on. Verse 25, But Abraham said, Son, remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things, and likewise Lazarus evil things. But now he is comforted, and thou art tormented. And beside all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed. So that they which would pass from hence to who? To you, cannot so. He, he wants Lazarus to be sent, uh, you know, down uh, to give him some water. Well, that's not possible. So we'll read a moment about he wants him to be sent to reach his brothers. But so the first thing Abraham says is it's not possible to go from heaven to hell because he's asking for Lazarus to be sent with just to put touch his finger and water and cool his tongue. And Abraham says, that can't, that can't happen. You can't go from heaven to hell. And then he says, neither can they pass to us. Well, where is the us? Where are they? In heaven. It's Abraham and Lazarus. Neither can they pass to us that would come from thence. Where is the thence? The hell. So Abraham, first of all, says there's no way to get from heaven to hell, showing thereby that, once again, our salvation is eternal. There's not... Some future way that we can mess up when we go to heaven and be cast into hell. That's not possible. Nor is it possible for anyone there to go to heaven. So this is, this is not purgatory. There's no way out of this. It is, it's settled. I'm um, noticing Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Now, and let's, let's begin at... Uh, Verse 39, there's two dying thieves, one on each side of Jesus on crosses. And in one passage, at one point, they're both railing on Christ, uh, but one repents. So verse 39, and one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him, saying, "Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, what? Today shalt thou be with me, where? In paradise. Now, biblically speaking, you have two thieves. Um. what is the biblical punishment for stealing? It starts with the R. It's restitution. And right after the Ten Commandments are given in Exodus 20, you look at chapters 21 and 22, and you find there, okay, so if people break these Ten Commandments, what happens? Well, uh, we don't have time. We're already covering more than we can hardly cover. But um, the thing was this, is if, if the thief steals something and destroys it, he had to pay back four to five times the amount of restitution. If the thief stole something and it could be returned to the owner in okay shape, then he had to pay double. So according to this, these two thieves are being put to death by the Romans for their crime. Now, if anyone should go, if there was such a place as purgatory, if anyone should go there, it should be this thief, right? He's... He has committed a crime, and now he's receiving the Lord, but he has no way to make restitution. He's going to die on that cross that same day. So what does Jesus tell him? Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. So here is a man who cannot pay back for his crime, um, and he's going to heaven. So another passage proving there's no such thing as purgatory. No such thing. Um, notice in Matthew 25, Matthew 25 and verse 41, Matthew 25, 40. what did Jesus say? Matthew 25, 41, then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, ye cursed into, what? Everlasting fire, Everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels, in verse 46, and these shall go away into, what? Everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. Jesus said it's a place that's everlasting. It's not temporary. It's everlasting. Um, so the doctrine of purgatory is false, but C.S. Lewis believed in the doctrine of purgatory and baptismal regeneration. Um, now, in our own terminology the way we talk we have to be careful that we don't confuse people have you ever heard someone say or have you said it yourself to someone um, trying to see someone saved have you ever said to someone if you don't receive christ and let him pay for your sins you are going to pay for your sins in hell now we know what we mean by that but actually our terminology is incorrect to say, well, if you don't let Jesus pay for your sin, you're going to pay for your sin in hell. Nobody that goes to hell pays for any of their sin. What happens is they are getting punished for their sin. But by our use of terminology, by saying, um, if you don't get saved, you're going to pay for your sin in hell. If they were really paying for their sin in hell, then eventually they would get out of hell. Because eventually they would pay it off. But they're not paying for their sin. They're getting punished for their sin. Um, Sometimes we don't think through uh, things. But in Romans 6.23, let's look at this. Romans 6.23. It's the definition of wages. Sometimes we we just speak and we don't really think through something. But Romans 6.23, for the what? The wages of sin is what? Death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, what what is wages? The wages of our sin is death. Now, how many of you at the end of a week and some of you get paid every 2 weeks. So, how many of you at the end of a week or at the end of 2 weeks write your boss a check? Every every week at the end of every week or at the end of every 2 weeks, how many of you write your boss, a check for how many hours you put in. Is that the way it works? No. What is the way it works? What are wages? Wages are not us paying the boss or the company. Wages is what we are getting paid. So the wages of sin is death. The wages... Sinners are getting the punishment that they deserve in hell forever. So we have to be careful. I, I know sometimes we make this statement about, you know, like, um, you know, we'll say things like, well, they're really getting their payback. You know, statements like that. But a lost sinner is not paying for anything in hell. He's he's getting paid. He's getting Paid for what he has sinned, he's getting punished for his sin. So to teach that purgatory instead of to teach purgatory instead of an eternal hell is to call Jesus a liar. It's that simple because we just read in Matthew 25, 41 that Christ said that the lost are going to get cast into an everlasting fire and everlasting Punishment, you know, notice how God, Lord used that word, punishment, everlasting punishment. They're getting punished. So it's blasphemous to teach something that makes Jesus out to be a liar, because he's not a liar. Um, what is also distressing is that C.S. Lewis, his target audience is children. Um, I'm reading from Britannica.com once again. It it says in 1950, Lewis published what has become his most widely known book, The Children's Fantasy, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It specifically calls it a children's fantasy. You know, doesn't it bother us, these... uh, Sodomites and these transgenders are going after children. That's what they do. Um, That's why these, these men dress up as women. They're going to libraries and reading books to children. These men dress up as women. They're going to public schools and reading books to children. That's who they prey upon. And as we was talking the other the other night, I don't know if it was last night after prayer or Sunday night, that probably at least five years ago, and time goes so fast, I'm, it's probably longer than that. But the national whatever of psychiatrists changed. They at one point uh, these uh, pedophiles, these people who prey upon children. At, at, at one point, they were considered and called uh, a deviant behavior by psychiatrists. They've changed that now. And because, and it was talked about out front in one of, after one of the services, that they, uh, they want to make it legal. And I think someone even mentioned that some laws are on the books somewhere about trying to make this legal uh, for adults and minors. It's, it's, it's so vile. And so, and Lord willing, next week we'll go into more things. This is, this is not all about C.S. Lewis, but it should really make us think because his most widely known writings are children's fantasies. And to know that he has these doctrines um, notice in 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, 2 Timothy 3, in verse 13, 2 Timothy three thirteen, But evil men and seducers shall what? Worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a what? A child. Thou hast known what? The holy scriptures. What about our children? What about our grandchildren? Do our children know from a, a from a child the holy scriptures or from a child do they know C. S. Lewis? You know, sometimes when when these fantasies and um, they're just there's so much literature. It's 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 hard to know how to deal with with. There's so much fiction, and even I have personally, maybe you have, but I have never seen a, a movie made about a biblical event that actually followed the scriptures. Have you? Maybe you have. I never have. When I was a teenager, they had a left-behind series. I don't know if it was Tim LaHaye doing that, but we're talking many years ago, but somebody was putting up. I never saw a scriptural film on the end times because as a teenager, I was watching that, and, and they were making it out that, you know, like a husband was witnessing to a wife, or vice versa, and then suddenly the rapture happened, and so the saved spouse was gone. Um, The unsaved spouse rejected Christ, but then after the rapture happened, the unsaved spouse got saved. Um, That is not going to happen, and we're already out of time, but when someone hears the gospel and rejects it, the Bible is very clear in 2 Thessalonians 2 that they are going to believe the lie. They're going to believe the lie of the Antichrist. Um, so I've never seen one film that actually follows the scripture on end times. Maybe you have. Um, and of course there are multitudes of films about Old Testament events. Um, I've never seen one that actually files they always embellish it with something that is that is not true so do our children really know the holy scriptures i remember growing up it was before all these creation scientists came about and so i'm being taught in church that god created the heaven and the earth i'm being taught in the public school that you know millions of years ago we came from the slime and the mud and and one-celled creature, and here we are. And I didn't know how to reconcile that. And so I read about that these evolutionists would find one bone and create a whole skeleton, you know, out of one bone. So I just grew up thinking, you know what? There's no such thing as dinosaurs. There's no such thing as these huge, large animals. It's just, it's just a lie of man. And so I believed the Bible, that God created heaven and the earth. But I didn't know where to fit all these huge creatures, dinosaurs, into the the, the picture until the creation scientists came along and, and put it together. You know, amphibians, amphibians, they just keep growing and growing and growing. Um, and so then I understood why animals got so big, and then I understood, like, in the Bible, you take the book of Job and other places, and you're making references to um, these huge creatures and even fire-breathing creatures. And so, ah, okay, Leviathan. Um, that's it. And but so it took me a long time to be able to put these two together. So and that's that's the problem. You know, the the man that was talking to my wife and I um was telling us how he reads through some of C.S. Lewis books every year, and and he says he's greatly blessed. Well, he's he's seeing something from his perspective of it, but as we'll see later on in different sessions, um, C.S. Lewis, I don't know if you'd use the term polled people, but he checked with different denominations, and the fact of the matter is, is that Mormons love C.S. Lewis. Catholics love C.S. Lewis. A lot of Baptists love C.S. Lewis. The question we have to ask ourselves is this. What if we we did a work, uh, and especially in the spiritual realm, that the Mormons loved, that the Catholics loved, But they never got saved. They loved our work. But you see, the problem is when this fantasy land is you can see what you want to see in it. So the man, the Christian we're talking to, well, he was he was seeing it from his perspective. But it's a sad day, isn't it? I would hate to leave behind writings that the Mormons would absolutely love, but it would not lead him to Christ. I would hate to leave behind writings that the Catholics would love, but it would not lead them to Christ. Wouldn't you? If they could see in it what they wanted to see, instead of seeing Christ, I would want them to see Christ. So we'll continue on showing um, where this man really stood. But I, just, I pray that our children, our grandchildren, verse 15, would know the Holy Scriptures. Part of the problem is, you know, they tell us, if you hear something, it's a certain memory retention. If you hear it, plus read it, that's a little more memory retention. And, you know, if you, if you hear it, you see the writing, and if you can see it illustrated, then it's even more. The problem is, is when children see... Uh, movies based on biblical events. They're gonna remember that most because it's the pictured in their mind. So do they really know what the scripture says? And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us, Lord. I pray that the work of our lives would not leave people confused. I pray that it would not leave cultists content in their false doctrine. So, Father, I I pray that you would give us wisdom, Lord. Help us in our personal reading and help us in Wisdom and what we read to children. Uh, Lord, we we want to, to know the Word of God. We want it to be crystal clear in our minds, what it says and what it doesn't say. And we want that to be true of our children. We want them to know what is true and what is false. So please help us in this, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take our hymnbooks if you would.